Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We still don't have a slogan for theater stories, so let's just dive into The Connor and Smith Show! Season 7 theater stories. Sorry, we're lame. Um, we have a first tonight. First of all, it's a dark and stormy night. Uh, the storms are coming. But we don't care because it is cool and the, the wine is flowing inside Connor and Smith House. We have the first time in Theater Stories Season 7, a live in-person Ali Curran! Woo! Live in the studio! Playwright and dear friend, and we have our neighbor Joy as audience member. Hi, Yay! Her ticket was ten dollars. If anyone's wondering how to be on the show as an audience member, and she got free, disgusting, sparkling Sauvignon Blanc. So in a can. In a can. Yeah, it's like a trap. Yeah. So we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Yeah. Um, if you hear some panting in the background, We're, it's... The it's... Nice sponsor is... What? I don't know. Sounds filthy. Something sexy. Yeah. yeah. It's snor it's it's Byron. It's Byron. He's he's just a little hot uh tonight. So Ali Curran, we had the pleasure of uh working on Silver Bells with at Signature in two thousand sixteen. And yeah, breaking news that's not really breaking anymore, but it is going to Virginia Repertory Theater this uh, Thanksgiving through New Year's Eve uh, to their big theater. We are super excited. Maybe we should do one of those trips where people like sign up to meet us there. Like all the, all the TikTokers, like we're taking a trip to Italy. I mean, unfortunately, it's like it's Richmond, like Italy. Yeah, <laughs> but we, I think they still have like there's an Italian place yeah, Italian in Italian Richmond. Place. We can yeah. yeah. You can go to. I I just want to start my venue into uh, Alley as far as theater stories by telling a, a theater story related to us yeah. because it was during the run of Silver Bells that I there were no understudies y'all this was this was bare bones it was kind of a, it's a long story but they basically no, it's not a long story it was cheap they treated it like a cabaret but it wasn't a cabaret it was a full blown show and they had no understudies so Naomi Jacobson, our dear friend, wonderful actress. Bojack. Everyone got ill, like not everyone, but lots of people missed. And she played the character of Bojack, who's asexual, let's just say uh, non-binary is yes. probably what we would call her now, yes, actually, like or me. call them now. Call so them now. apologies. So uh, she went out and I was told I had to go on as Bojack. And I was already in the big theater doing Titanic but had to go into the play that I helped work on. I didn't know the lines, so I had to carry a script. I did know the choreography for Moonshine, the one song and dance number, and put my script down to do it, and everyone cheered. It was, I had to do two performances. Two. 
And it was the most nerve-wracking. Did we watch from the lobby? I watched. Yeah. I watched. yeah. We were in the lobby watching. No, I we, watched. Could, we couldn't get a seat. It was, it it was, was sold out it was before sold out. it opened. Yeah. yeah. We could yeah. watch our own show. Yeah. So anyway, that's my theater nightmare story, and somehow See, I got through it. You were a beautiful Bojack. I've were, never you, seen you, you shine as much. That's a lie. Oh. He was in those cute little overalls. <laughs> they were so cute. Yeah. Do you remember any of the lines? Could you give us a line? No. Absolutely not, because I did not write them, and I I was channeling whatever I had watched. We didn't watch, we didn't get to watch it that much. It was much. an out of body experience yeah, for you, I'm sure. Absolutely, but everybody from Titanic was like watching from the lobby monitor, and then I'd have to cross through, and everybody everybody would be like, "Oh my god, great job!" But it was very, it was the actor's nightmare. It's a high water act. It was the writer's nightmare. It's the writer's nightmare. <laughs> I remember the lyrics. Well, you, you, you knew the music. You did know the music. Yeah. It was just the, you know, the, book. the blocking and the book. And well, and else. Bojack also had her own radio, their own radio program and did a lot of Foley work. Yeah. So I was also trying to figure out what, do I honk this horn? Do oh, I beat God. this drum? Do just I? don't you wish there was a video of that. I do. I yeah. do. I really do. So Allie, um, not to put you on the spot, but this is theater stories. And I know that you're life has been lived in the theater in many aspects and when you think of theater stories what are some things that just bubble to the surface immediately well the favorite ones that I like to tell my students about um, you know I, I was in a show at American Century Theater we at the Gunston Center yep. that, that theater in there <clears throat> and we, uh, it's a beautiful play Hotel University by Philip Barry nobody ever does it and we were in an early matinee early in the run and they hadn't quite glow taped quite well enough. <laughs> I am in my pretty white South of France costume from the 1920s. You know, we're all wearing white. We're getting into place in the blackout. I fell off the freaking stage <gasps> with like the loudest crash you could no. ever hear in the world. It was like, it was like, <laughs> it, was like it was just like, talk about Foley. It was an absolute nightmare. I was getting on stage, right behind me was Ian LaValle. He fortunately has, he can see in the dark because it was pitch black. And he literally did this like $6 million man thing. And like picked me bodily up from the stage, basically by the scruff of my neck and put me back on the stage, got me in the seat, hands me his prop handkerchief. And he says, put it on your arm. Cause he could see I was bleeding. Lights come up and I'm sitting there in my white costume with, so everybody knew who went over. Right, like, like the audience literally vocalized when they were like, "Whoa!" when they heard somebody crash on the stage. Right, and there's no hiding it. So I'm just sitting there, and I opened the show with this monologue. So I'm just sitting there, bleeding, wow. bleeding, bleeding on my pretty sheer costume, and just went through with it. So I tell my students when they start bitching about about being afraid to fail or something like that, I'm like. What's the worst thing that can happen? You can fall off the stage. Well, guess what? I did in a full matinee, and I survived. In a white costume. In a white costume. Thank you very much. Thanks for so, your professionalism. Absolutely. <laughs> the show must go on. Do you think they should have had better glow tape or yeah, something? Yeah, they screwed up. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, a lot of bad stuff in theater happens because people weren't quite paying attention, you know? Yeah. And that was one of those instances, definitely. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. There's, there's been a lot of falling stories that we've, <laughs> we've had so far, including Michael Kahn talking about a whole cast of people wearing velvet costumes and the set was a rake. Jacobian 
Jacoby Melvin or whatever. And the show was a rake of uh, aluminum, and they went and all slid into the pit. The first dress rehearsal, and all you heard was. Ah! <laughs> I love a rake. You know, in grad school, a friend of mine for his thesis production did the Trojan Women, and they wanted to have like authentic, like those bendo style bra undergarment things over their like their draped. You don't, you don't call them togas, but you know, they're Greek draped costumes. And I, I, I was in the dress, but the final dress for some reason, and there was a moment when they all came rushed, all the women were lined up from the back of the stage, and they all come rushing down the rake, mourning and rending up garments and stuff like that. <laughs> Those bendos were, not a one was in the right place. Oh. It was like, tits, 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 like <laughs> coming straight down the stage. And we just all started laughing, and he stopped the show, and everybody's like, <laughs> Covering back up, it was hilarious. I, I will match you that. Oh please! But it's more cringeworthy because okay. it was high school theater. Oh. Uh, so a production of Anything Goes. There is a tap dance number by. It's not Reno. It's like Bonnie, and her like little the side. Heaven hop. Yes, it's the Heaven Hop. So for I those. Was Bonnie once. For those not averse, the Heaven Hop is this up-tempo, like, it's almost like the Macarena in the 30s, you know, or 40s. And it's like, bend and stretch and blah, 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 blah. And everybody's in these kind of, like, tied around the neck. Um, It really should have been rethought for a tap number. So the first time they, the way we did it in high school was the invite dress was the high school comes before the, you know, evening performance. So all these girls who were the cheerleaders, who were the, you know, hottest girls, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in school, were all these tap dancing girls. And as they're singing, heaven, I'm going to take you to heaven. And they're doing all these flat ball changes. All their boobs start to come out. <laughs> of course. And all of the, like, straight male, they're like, Aah! And they had to, and so all the girls finished the number. No one stopped the show because it was, you know, the 90s. And they just finished, like, holding their boobs. And all, the musical was sold out the rest of the weekend because all those, they came back. Dinner and a show, man. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, boobs are a problem on stage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They really are. Yeah, because I did this one show, one of my first shows in D.C. is my second professional show. It was the Old Source Theater. And it was Lloyd's Prayer, delightful play by Kevin Kling. And I played this like this like small town beauty queen whose bottle body gets overtaken by this angel. And she comes in, right? So when I was the beauty queen, I had this little silver bathing suit and these little silver tap shoes and a, and a baton, right? And she was very a dingbat kind of character. And then when I was the angel, I added this apparatus, this gigantic halo apparatus. With a light bulb, with it a little sounds like chain. silver bells. P.S. But anyway, kind of, kind of, you know, <laughs> hey, my influences are, are many. Um, and so this, this halo had the, this light bulb on it and a little pull chain. And the miracle that the angel would do to prove that she was not just the beauty queen but an actual angel would she pull the pull chain, the light would come on, and she would say, "Be amazed!" Right. So that's the joke. Well, one night, the damn—I don't know who—I didn't say anything either. It's my fault too. But I was like, you know, in my twenties. It was on my second professional show. Like, who thought it was a good idea to put a glass light bulb oh my God. near my eyes, first of all? Oh, and one night, the damn thing breaks mid-performance, 
and the glass didn't get in my eye, but the glass falls all down in my bathing suit. Oh gosh. So I finished the scene and I ran off stage and we had an intern, uh, Eli Dawson was the intern who later went on to be the casting director at Arena for a decade. But he was an intern here and I he heard the crash and I literally ran backstage and I whipped off my bathing suit and Eli's just sitting there picking glass out of my boobs, like backstage. But like, I mean, safety 101, nobody thought about it. Right. Nobody yeah. thought about it. And that glass just shattered into a zillion pieces and I was picking it out of my boobs the whole rest of the show. Oh gosh. I'm not trying to have a, a, a competition with you. It's but a theme, baby. Your stories lead to mine. Yes. <laughs> Lori Kraft, a wonderful actress who was around for just a little bit, we were doing Gypsy at Signature Theater 2000, and she was playing Electra, one of the strippers who lights up. Mm -hmm. And this was before LED lights. This was like how, I don't know how they did it in the 50s without burning people, but anyway, I know, right? in, in 2000, I don't, it was Signature Theater, like in garage days. The budget was yeah. not extensive. I acted in that garage. Yeah. And, and, so whatever contraption they did after the first performance, we were like, is she okay? Because she's doing her number and she's lighting up, but she's kind of like wincing around. It was burning her through the, the costume. She got everything off when she came off stage. She had all these little burns all over her. And then they were like, well, we'll figure it out for tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't know what they did or what, what the issue was, but Electra almost like caught on fire. Um, Jesus. And that was a male costume designer, just going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, the safety issues that were just, I mean, it's not much better now, but God, we're underpaid. <laughs> I mean, putting ourselves, like that was serious jeopardy. And, uh, you know, I was young. I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, sure, put out the light bulb right near my eyes. Sure. Oh, oh, it broke. Okay. I'll just, you just deal with it and you kind of roll with it. How did any of your experiences as an actress inform your experiences as a writer for actors? Because I always think, and we're the same, um, it informs when we write for actors, we're like, oh, you have to think humanely. You have to think yes. about your actors first. Um, but being on the other side of the table, has that ever helped you circumvent any of those, these kind of moments where you're like, no, this can't happen. We have to do this in a safer way. I will, I will, I will never write. Yes, the, the main thing I think about with actors, having been one, is that I will never, ever, ever write a role I wouldn't want to play myself. Mm -hmm. Every role is going to be meaty. No role is going to be small. It's, every role is going to have a good arc a purpose a purpose uh, um, a complexity um i'm not gonna write throwaways i refuse yeah. if i'm not gonna play myself i would not write it and that's why i think you know i i think the one one of my strengths as a writer is my character work mm -hmm. i think it's really clear really strong all the voices are very distinct and i think it comes from that from exactly that but i don't want to write crap i think the same way that we had a, a different situation with our Bold New Work situation, but because we were directing the shows, not because we were egotistical of like, we must direct the shows, there was nobody else to do it. And nobody else was gonna get paid to do it. So we were already there, so we had to direct, but it helped us really think, well, if we can't figure this out, somebody else is not gonna be able to figure it out. 
and I think that's along the same line of thought, you yeah. know. Um, I I can't remember this, but Signature Theater has a history of problems with hydraulics, and I'm not saying that as a slight <laughs> to anyone. Did Donna's casket ever have issues? I don't think it did. I don't think it did. That's a miracle. I don't think it did. I just remember the one, uh, you know, when I was in grad school, I'm dating myself here, but we all came out from UVA to see Les Mis on its first American school? tour. UVA. UVA. Yeah. Um, and they, the, at the National, the Revolve mm. was having some problems. This is one of the first previews in D.C. Of Les Mis. Of Les Mis. And, I mean, the actors, you could see the terror on their faces trying to get on and get off that Revolve because it was going too fast. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and Les Mis is all about th that Revolve. Yeah. It's all about that. And these actors, you could tell, were terrified. And, I mean, it was, in one way, you're, as an audience member, you're kind of like, you know, okay, this is a little funny, but, but as an actor, you're just like, oh, you poor people, I hope everybody's okay, yeah. and nobody breaks an ankle getting off that thing. They fixed it. I think they closed, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they like they had to postpone another preview or something to fix the whole Revolve situation, and they got it underhand, but... So, speaking of Revolves, yes, this is me and Allie's duet tonight, I feel. Matt's kind of like laying on the couch I watching. I bought the $10 ticket. Okay. You gotta chime in. You gotta chime in, Ford's With Theater. Yeah. <laughs> Ford's Theater, uh, the Civil War, two thousand nine, there's a revolve, a similar revolve. Uh -huh. And it, it it worked most of the time. But we had the plan B, which was uh, because what happened was we were in contemporary dress and then the big reveal was we were in Civil War era things at the end and it was like oh they could have been them it was lame but anyway um, our plan B was we would all come out and do step cross step cross in a circle like around like, like a record yeah. Yeah. and it looked ridiculous and we felt ridiculous doing it because it was like a ballad and we're like doing like rockette step yeah. crosses <laughs> yeah. and every time we did it we could barely get through it without laughing because it's also very high notes and we were like for the glory <laughs> and we didn't care because it was student audiences who were also asleep by that point let's be honest so thank you Ford's Theater we love you yeah. um, <laughs> well, and now that you've broken the seal on children's theater I, yes. you know, I've got to say this this is my favorite one of my favorite memories of all time I directed for Imagination Stage back when they I mean I mean, a number of times, but when, before they were in their current space, mm -hmm. at, when they were, had that space, that storefront at White Flint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I directed this thing. Michael Rogers was in it. I forget who all was in it. But this is a very sweet little story. And the kids used to sit, you know, in front of the stage area and just on the floor watching. So, you know, kids are geniuses, right? They really are. And my writing got exponentially better after I got two simultaneous commissions from the Imagination Stage much later and the Kennedy Center much later to write for young audiences because kids are not going to sit there unless you whack, talk and rattle on. you got to keep them but you got you got to yeah. be lean, mean, economical, and deliver. Yeah. So, okay, so, th and this is part of my learning curve on TYA theater. Um, so the ki the main character comes out with like one of those like blunderbuss kind of guns, you know, mm -hmm. he's like, I'm hunting wabbits. Has yeah. anybody seen a wabbit? Like, in that sort of fud kind yeah. of voice and there's just there's always one right <laughs> and I was watching from the back this one little kid makes this Copernican leap and he hops up and he goes I'm a rabbit 
And then instantly, <laughs> it's like, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit. Every kid in that audience became hopped, a became a rabbit. And hopping mayhem continued for literally five minutes until the actors could figure out how to get these kids under control. I was in the back, partly dying, partly howling my butt off, because it was just, it, all it takes is one, one yeah, little smart kid to just lead the pack into mayhem and completely derail the performance. It was wonderful. Who had like one too many pieces of sugar exactly. or something. And was like, one, I gotta well, jump. I see too many. Right? Yeah. Exactly. That's hysterical. It was so funny. I already told my poop story. You did, you did. Uh, when I was doing a kid's show and I had way too much coffee and I ran to the bathroom dressed in my spree outfit which had leaves hot glued to a jumpsuit and I got in the stall and I'm sitting there doing my number Christian two, duty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like Scooby-Doo eyes, these kids were like, tink, 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 all looking through the door and I'm like, all right. And someone said, hey guys, it's the Swamp Thing. But my name was Spree. Um, and then some kid goes to the stall beside me. He takes his foot and grabs one of my leaves that's glued to my pants. He's like pulling it and pulling it. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Kids, I just had a lot of coffee. The show's over. Go on! <laughs> Anyways. Um, and then after, after I finally finished up and washed my pre-COVID hands, I went out and they all were waiting for my autograph. Gross! Oh, <laughs> I, I wrote poopy pajamas. Matt Connor. You know, Christopher Euster has a great story about all of the kids in a Sound of Music production having, like, way too much cake or sugar or something, and they all ended up in the, the bed scene, you know, the jumping up and down, like, one of the kids threw up, like, in a performance all over the bed. Oh I shouldn't tell Christopher's story, but it's a really good one. It's just too much sugar. It's a bad thing. Well, I was doing a, matin a matinee of Merrily We Roll Along, which, of course, goes backwards. Yes. So it starts in the pa the, the starts in the the last scene and goes back to where they met. It's a beautiful, beautiful show. Really? In well, <laughs> maybe because maybe because I did it. Okay. Maybe because I did it, I wanted it to be. Okay. Fair enough. Have you seen the documentary the the Yes, I have. The Best Horse? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that's a good doc. Anyways, yeah. so there you sing the years. And you're like, 1956. Well, they had us all be on the stage all the time in these beautiful, who's the Broadway designer? Robert Cuccioli? No. No, that was Perziola. the guy that did Jack and Hyde. Huh? Perziola. Perziola. They were all Perziola uh, designed gowns and suits that were built on us. So everything was like wow. a glove. And we were all like models mm -hmm. back when I had all my teeth. <laughs> And I, so one day, we're out there, we have to be out there the entire show, it's a matinee, I probably had, just like this, I'm always drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 1956. And I thought, oh God, I'll have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> what am I gonna do? So the next year came, we were like, 1968. And I ran. <laughs> and I left the theater. And I go running down the hall, and Lacey Tolero, the assistant stage manager, said, where are you going? I said, the boot monster just arrived. <laughs> and then literally, 1972, <laughs> and I go back on stage, and um, what's his name? I don't know, what's his name? The designer? 
No, the actor. Johnny? No. Uh, Mark? Mark Chandler. He was down in L.A. or something. He was like, where are you? <laughs> Through his teeth. And I was like, oh, I just shut. <laughs> that was the end of it. My God, that's horrible. But here's a story that's not a funny story. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing Witches of Eastwick. With the writing team of Dempsey and Rowe. Dempsey and Rowe. It had already had a Westin uh, preview or a run at the Westin in yeah. London. Already what? been done the national tour. I'm in this cast with Mark Kudish, who is from the movie Bye Bye Birdie. He's Birdie. In the TV movie. In yeah. the TV movie. <laughs> He's had this, this Broadway career. This yeah, huge yeah. Broadway career, Mark Kudish. Um, Christian Noel, whose latest thing was what? Ragtime. Hyde, Ragtime, yeah. Um, Emily Skinner. Sideshow. Sideshow. I mean, she's from Richmond. And Jackie Donovan Perot. Perot Donovan. Anyways, star-studded cast as normal at Signature. And I'm in, of course, the chorus, Kicking. And this is when I would do a, a, a so one day we had to do a, a dress run for the designers, of course. Like first week of rehearsal, all the designers come in to see how it's going. And we do this whole run. Well, there's this huge overture that lasts for like, I don't know, two minutes. So there we are in rehearsal, in the rehearsal room, and the overture starts. For those listening, he is pantomiming, getting ready. This is not great content for audio, uh, but he's pantomiming, getting ready. If you could lower your... He's putting on lipstick. It's... Yeah. So There's I no did, camera here, but anyway, we're back to Matt Connor. I, beautiful now. I did this whole pantomime and acted like I was getting ready for the show because I was a professional show getting ready for a per, sort of person. Well, this started something that I never could not do. So for every performance... Wait, 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 wait. Clarify that. Yeah. Why could you never not do it? Because who was watching and being entertained? All those crazy stars. <laughs> All of them, or was it Emily Skinner specifically? No, M acted like she wasn't really looking. But she was. But she was, because final... It got to a point where by the end of the run, I had costume changes, and they were real costumes, and I was really getting ready for a different show, and then literally would change into my opening costume. And this is... None of the audience is seeing this, y'all. This is just Matt... Backstage. ...fucking around backstage <laughs> with, it was like... art. <laughs> it was art? Performance art, sure. Uh, trying to make uh, the, the stars laugh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it involved me putting up cast lists. It, it involved me coming in as different characters from other movies, whether it be the women. I had on the, uh, the duck feather um, gown from the women that was taken from another theater at one point. You took that for me? Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, it, just, it, it, it wasn't duck feathers. It was ostrich feathers. There's a difference. <laughs> ostrich feathers are way prettier. And more expensive. Yeah. It smelled like duck. So, so anyways, I did this for this whole run until finally the closing night, 
Emily Skinner was always sort of a, a uh, covered what covered. Well, she's just she's a very hard working actress who really isn't there to break and have oh, fun, right. you know. So and so the, the final night, mm. uh, they were all waiting to like, what's Matt going to do? He clearly is not getting paid enough and doesn't ha- have enough to do backstage. And uh, she said, "Do you mind I, if I video this?" And I said, "Emily, if this gets out, you're ruined." And she. And so, but this is not a funny story. You said. So, so she filmed me doing do that. I think I don't remember what it was. It was something stupid. But anyways, my one of my jobs during the Witches of Eastwick, because Mark Kudish's character ends up flying out of the theater. In the movie, he like goes yeah. away. So every night, I never enjoyed the run of that show. Because every night at the end of the show, me and Jeremy Benton would have to wait for these cables to be lowered that no one could see and hook him up into oh, this God. harness God. on stage yeah. while he's acting and be like, la, 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 And we're like, nothing to see here. And then if I got hooked, I would give him a pat on the butt. And then if Jeremy got him hooked, he would get a pat on the butt. And then he knew it was good to go. But he knew that if, it, if something didn't happen, he had a special word that he yelled to the stage manager that said, basically, if I say this word. Sassafras! <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a safe word. <laughs> yeah. So every performance, I, I I would wait for that moment to be over because it was oh. horrific yeah. to have Stress. to do live on stage. Wow. So one night, Uh-oh. the C-clamp hook comes down and it's supposed to go in. Oh, and what it did was it went in, but it did not completely go all the way around. Oh, so it was hooked. But just not like that. And he starts going up, and he immediately goes, when he's hanging on one one one, one cable, oh. and then he yells the word like you know, cinnamon toast or whatever. And they lower him back down, and he did some sort of like improv, like I'll get you my pretties, and left. Um, Jeez, wow. And I remember Eric Schaefer at some point saying something like, "Hey y'all, having a good time?" And I was like, "No, I'm not having a good time. I'm, I have to fucking hook up a Broadway star to a harness every night live in front of an audience. Like it was so yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, it's my take. I mean, I've never had to be flown, thank God, on stage. But like that would terrify me. Like that would be a deal breaker for me. Did you see Titanic? Yes, I saw Titanic. When they had those yes. boys yes. that were yes. upside down yes. hanging. It was horrible. I, 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 like it triggered me so bad. I hate the word trigger, but it triggered me so badly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it, but the low tech stuff can go really south too. You know, in some really funny ways. I mean, you know, I was doing this show. Jenny keeps talking. It's by Richard Greenberg, and it's it was at the old Theater J back when they were on Jefferson Street. Mm-hmm. You know, right uh, Jefferson and Nineteenth, like just south of Dupont. And it was a three-woman show, and it's three monologues, right? The first monologue was Cam McGee, so she's got 40 minutes, I think. The next monologue was me, playing her sister. I had 30 minutes, and then Mary Sweeb was wrap-up. She had like a, she was our mom. She had like a 15-minute mon- It's a prismatic look on their lives and relationships, blah, blah, blah. So it's this tiny matchbox theater. So it's almost hard to call it a theater. It's like, at the time, it was more like a living room with, you know, risers. With programs. Exactly. And so it's one of those, we had a great run, the show did well, whatever, but it's one of those beautiful Sundays in May, like the first really gorgeous Sunday you get in D.C., you know, when the, the cherry blossoms are out, and it's just like the perfect first Sunday. 
So, of course, we don't have an audience coming, right? And there are three actors. Randy Hoflick was the artistic director at the time, who'd also directed it, and she said, no, we're, we're canceling the show. This is ridiculous. No, we're not, we're, you know, no. There, there are two people out in the lobby, and I'm canceling. The audience is, you know, is, is, the actors are outnumbering the audience, so we're not having that. So, no, no way. So she goes to tell this guy, Robert. Robert and his mother were the two attendees. <laughs> And she's like, I'm sorry, we, we have a policy that, you know, if, if, the, if the actors outnumber the audience, we cancel the show. It's very hard for, especially this show, because it's all audience address. Like you talked, you made eye contact and talked directly to the audience. So Robert's mother was ancient, teeny, wizened little thing with this gigantic hat and this cane. I'll never forget that visual. And so she's like, canceling the show. Oh, so she starts leaving, and Robert, her son, grabs Randy and says, "You can't cancel the show. I can't spend this Sunday with my mother. Please, I'll pay extra. Please do the show. Please do the show." So Randy's he buys two more tickets, and so Randy's like, "We're doing it, I guess." So this audience address show, there's two people, four two people. We're sitting there, Cam gets through her 40 minutes, I get up there to do my 30 minutes. And first of all, I'm pretty sure Robert was flirting with me. First, I, I, like, they, they, there's just a whole different feeling of what the fourth wall is in this particular situation. And then I had this one line, because they started comfortably sort of talking back to me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> talk about actor's nightmare. But there's this one moment that I, I actually, at the moment, I was horrified. Looking back on it, I truly treasure it. I had this line talking about some guy, and, and then I said, plus, I fucked him. <laughs> and Robert's mother goes, what did she say? And Robert goes, she fucked him. And she goes, oh, she fucked him. <laughs> it, was like, it was like the worst experience. But, but wonderfully funny now that I talk about it. But, oh and that was completely low-tech, small, you know, no frills. Yeah. That'll backfire on your butt, too. I one time did a show for a company that we were backstage getting ready to do a show. There was a very, very small house, and we all were kind of panicked of what to do. And the artistic director of the show-ish, who was in the show, said, we don't do this for them. I think I could write a thesis on what you just said. We don't do this for them. Almost, who, I mean, opened up a whole question. Audience, of, what audience? Of, 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 yeah, are, are we performing this for the audience? Or are we doing this for ourselves? See, this is, you're actually starting to scratch my current itch. Because I feel like the, I've, I've seen a lot of, Things recently, a lot of not recently, but in the past, the past decade, a lot of theatrical new plays, especially um, that are autobiographical, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I write from autobiographies sometimes too. That's totally fine. But I've sort of developed this, I this kind, this 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 this. I guess this. I'm articulating this irritation that I have. That you can write autobiographically, but you also have to think about an audience, not pander to, but think about. You bring in your imagination, your creativity, your technique, your skill, your, your comic timing, everything else in, and think about what it is you're creating. 
And and the, the corollary to that is that I firmly hold to is just because it happened to you does not make it interesting. Right? And I feel like I'm seeing a lot of theater that's like it happened to me. It's, it's masturbatory nonsense. You know, it happened yeah. to me so everybody must be interested. I'm like, no, I want technique. I want you to craft a story. I want you to create an evening, an event that sure can be about you and your experience, but has some shape to it, has some purpose, has a higher purpose. It's not, I'm doing it for me. Audience, what audience? Like, that's an old, gross attitude, I think. Right? It had me, it still had me thinking. Yeah. That just the different aspects of what I mean, we could even go into the film world. I mean, when mm -hmm. I talked to Ryan about films, I mean, there was a whole plethora of different ways that those stories are told. Yeah, and I feel like, well, sure, maybe if I'm in a ballet, maybe if in a ballet company, I can feel like, well, we are in tights and we are doing. A, a physical thing that maybe not everybody can do so we are maybe a bunch of athletes up here so maybe we aren't doing it for them because well we there's training and technique and specialization there maybe maybe I mean it's a whole but so is it with acting too though right mm -hmm. right you're still doing that even though it's not athletic it is art right and so you are doing it for the audience well without the audience does a tree make yeah, a sound? Right, and, right, yeah, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Right, I mean, is it is it theater if you don't really have an audience? Right, I don't know. Right. But that theater would be be, be nameless. The nameless. Yes. But for ten dollars, <laughs> you can, well, why am I raising money? Tonight? I don't know. You're always oh, raising yeah. money. I should always be raising. Hey, money. I'm gonna sell my mugshot. Yeah. Allie, <laughs> um, thank you for chatting with us tonight. Um, thank you for having me. I I think we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, but we love you and much more to come in November through end of December. All right. The S I L V E R bells coming to Richmond. All right. Bye. For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia, have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at bunnymanbrewing.com. Thanks so much for talking with us, Allie. We love you so much. Much more to come <laughs> going on into the holiday season. Uh, we'll chat more with you soon. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. If you want to find us on social media, find us on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, uh, Patreon under Connor and Smith again with an ER uh, do you like what you're hearing please share it uh, share it where you share things post it where you post things we love to get feedback from everyone if you have a theater store and you want to tell us about reach out to us there is contact us uh, buttons on our website again www.connorsmithmusicals.com 
All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.